0: All right. well this morning, I've entitled the message, Living in Victory. So if you recall, last week we took a a little bit of time to look at hope. The hope that we have in Christ as Christians. You know, when we learn that that our hope is an eternal hope. That we know that one day we're going to receive an inheritance. We're going to sit at the right hand of God. We're going to be with Jesus, be glorified with Him. And when He returns, we're going to see who we actually are in Him. And we learn that that is, you know, that's a great thing. That one day we we're going to have time in heaven. We we're going to spend our time with him. But I think all too often that that's the only focus for Christians is someday I'm going to be in heaven. Someday I'm going to make it. Someday it's going to be more than just what we're dealing with now. And that's a good thing. I think we should be excited for heaven. I think that we should be excited the one day that we're going to leave this earth and we're going to be with Jesus in heaven. There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. And that's an amazing thing. And I, for one, am excited for that day. But I think when we're too focused on that, we lose track. We forget of the victory that we actually have right now here on earth. You know, it's great that one day we're going to go up to heaven, but the truth is that right now we can have a little bit of heaven on earth. You see, Christ has done a work inside of us that has meaning and has power for today. He has made us victorious. He has made us more than conquerors. He has made us overcomers. And the truth is that when we read about those things, we have to recognize that one day when we get to heaven, how many know that one day when you get to heaven, you're not going to need victory anymore because it's done. You're not going to need faith anymore because you're there. There's no opposition in heaven. But right now, while we're on earth, there definitely is opposition. We have an enemy that's out to get us that wants to drag us down with him. We have just people in this earth that have opposed us. Many times we oppose ourselves. But I want you guys to know that when you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't just have victory in heaven, but you have victory right here on earth today. We're not just forgiven, but we've been empowered. We've been freed from the bondage of sin and death. And there are things that would have control. There are things in this world that would have authority over you. They want to control your life. But Jesus has given us the victory over those very things. He's given us the victory over those things that previously defeated us. Over envy, over lust, over anxiety, over addiction, over sickness. Anything that would try to step in and take control over your life, Jesus has given you victory over those things. And not just one day in heaven, but we have that victory right now here on earth. You see, these things initially took our focus away from God. But after you get saved, if you're not careful, these very things can try to creep back in and steal your focus away again. There's so many things in this life that want to draw your focus away from Jesus because that's the only way that you can be defeated in any way. So we need to spend some time. We need to take a moment to look at what God actually has to say about us, who God says that we are. We need to understand what God says about our position And our victory in Jesus Christ. If we learn just enough to be saved, we're missing out on so much that God wants for us. Now don't get me wrong, it's it's an awesome thing to be saved. It's an awesome thing to know that you're going to heaven. But God wants so much more for us in our lives than just that. That's why we need to take the time, to spend the time studying, going through the scriptures that talk about who we are in Him. Because that's the only way that we'll grow. That's the only way that we'll have revelation of those things. And if we don't know about these things, there's no way to live in them. Amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and get started. In Romans 7, 15 through 20, it says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not want. For I do I didn't, yeah, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my own flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. We need victory in our lives. This is Paul speaking right here. I think it's some verses that get taken completely out of context many times. But this is Paul speaking about before he was saved. What I want you to know that this is not the believer. This is not the attitude. This is not the reality of somebody who's been saved. This is the reality of someone who doesn't know Jesus. What he's talking about here is before Jesus, they were living under the law. They knew that the law was good. They knew that the, 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 the laws that came out, what God said to do, they knew those things were good. But Paul's saying that even though I agreed with the law, even though I recognized that these were the right things to do, he says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Because He says, in his own flesh, there was nothing good. He couldn't do it. And that's true. If before you were saved, even if you wanted to do good, you couldn't. It was impossible. Our ability to live righteously without Jesus it's impossible for it to happen. In Romans 7, 5-6, through 6, it says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I want you to know that when you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, this is no longer the case with you. It says you've been released from the law. You've been released from living in the flesh of sinful passions aroused by the law. You've been released from the law. We've been given freedom from sin. And this just isn't who we are anymore. But this is why as Christians, we need this victory so badly, or as non-Christians, they need this victory so badly. People that want to do the right thing, without Jesus, they cannot live a righteous life. But the Bible says that when we are from God, and in 1 John 4, four, it says, Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You see, this was what Paul's talking about, like I said, is, is pre-salvation. But once you get saved, we finally have the ability to live in victory. We finally have the ability to make the right decisions because of the change, the miracle that takes place inside of you. Before salvation, we were in bondage to sin, not of our own choice, we would do the things that we hated. I remember in my life that I, was, I wanted so bad to do the right thing before I, I got real and truly saved, before I recognized that I had to, to accept Jesus into my heart and there was a transformation. I wanted to do the right things, and I kept trying to do them on my own. And I failed over and over and over again. And then I would feel guilty, and I would feel terrible. Before I was saved, I wanted to be good. But I couldn't. The Bible says that even when you have the desire to do what is right, you don't have the ability to carry it out if you're not saved. And the interesting thing was, I don't know if you guys remember before you got saved, if there was any, there was parts of you that you knew what bad was. You knew that it wasn't the right thing to do. You knew all these things, but you did them anyway. But that's because sin living inside of you had control over you. It had control over your actions. The Bible says that that we used to be a slave to sin, but now we're a slave to righteousness. Without Jesus in your life, sin is your master. There's no doubt about it. But with Jesus in your life, you have the ability to live in victory. You have the ability to live a righteous life. Those things in your life that you felt like you couldn't stop doing them before, you have the ability to not do them now. The truth is that we're born broken. We're not born in victory. We're not born overcomers. We're born broken. We're born lost, and we're born with the inability to do right. And the truth is, this is exactly why it's silly to expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Anybody ever done that? Like why are they acting that way, and you get a little judgmental inside, you? You get a little a little snooty, you're like, what? I, can't be- I can't believe they're doing that." But it's silly for us to, to even think that way. If they're not Christians, why? Would we act them? Why would we expect them to act like Christians? The Bible says they don't even have the ability to. In John 8, 31 through 32, it says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want. Oops, this is the rest of that verse. Sorry, I didn't read it all. 19, Romans 7, 15 through 20. 19 says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. All right, moving on. Sorry about that. John 8, 31 through 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How often have you seen this this scripture misquoted in mainstream media? You know it's funny I was thinking about it. there's so many movies that that talk about the truth setting you free and there and there or what about uh was it the the officer when he says You want to know the truth? You can't handle the truth. And there's all this stuff about truth in the mainstream media as they talk about this truth, as they they misquote what's going on in the Bible. Because the problem is, the world doesn't really understand what truth means, what truth really is. I think you can agree with me that in our society, truth is equivalent to facts. Facts. See, the problem with facts is facts can change. And the truth is there's many times in life where the facts just flat out change. Let me give you a couple just silly examples, but just to illustrate my point. The fact is, right now it's a sunny day. That's a fact. But if we wait just a few more hours, that fact has changed. It's not a sunny day anymore. It's now a dark night. Another fact, we say this is, this is just a fun time. That's a fact, but eventually that will change. There's, there's no longer the fact that this is a fun time. It could be a boring time. It could be a terrible time. In our own lives, we see these things play out. I know as I look around in my family, and I've been talking to you and some other families, I, right now the fact is that there are some people in this congregation that are sick. I also know that the fact can be that you're hurting, that you feel disappointed, you feel betrayed. The fact can be that you might be failing in a particular area in your life right now. You're struggling with it. That's facts. But the thing about facts is they can always change. Because the truth is that even though the fact is that some of us are sick, the truth is that we are healed by His stripes. The truth is that even if we feel alone or, or, or that God has left us, the truth is that He is with us. The fact may be that at this point in time we're failing in an area, but the truth is that we are victorious in Him. You see, the thing about truth is, is that truth cannot change. Truth is everlasting. Truth goes on forever. But in today's society, we, we look at truth as just the facts of what's going on. That's why it's so misused. But but Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what is this truth that he's talking about? Or even before, let's take a step back. He says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth. So the first step to knowing the truth is spending time in God's word. Because Jesus said and In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need to spend time in his word and spend time to hear what Jesus had to say, to spend time to hear what God had to say, so that we can know the truth. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what is the truth? I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves when we read these verses. Because it's not facts that set us free. But it's the truth of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on the cross and inside of each and every one of us. You see, when we spend time in his word, we begin to read the scriptures. We begin to learn a few things. We begin to to read the truth, what God says about us. And we learn that that we are free. We begin to learn that we are redeemed. Even if we don't feel redeemed. Even if we still feel like we're a failure. Even if we still feel like we're not good enough. The Bible says that we have been redeemed in Him. It says that we are victorious. Even when we feel like we're failing. Even when we feel like we can't do what God has set before us. The Bible says that we are victorious. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. You're not just, not even just a regular old conqueror, but you're more than a conqueror. The Bible says that we've been made whole. Whereas before we were broken, even when we still feel broken, we need to stop listening to our feelings and listen to what the truth of God has to say, that we are whole. The Bible says that you are pure and perfect and holy. But so many times we look at our lives and we begin to see the flaws and point out the flaws and we say, how can I be pure? How can I be perfect? How can I be holy? Even as we, we took communion this morning, in this church we teach that it's not a time to reflect upon ourselves. It's a time to reflect upon the finished work in Jesus Christ. But how many of you know that in churches across the country that we're doing communion this morning, many of them teach that you have to get right with God. You have to sit down and think really hard about all the sins that you've done. You have to sit down and and feel really bad and, and beg for forgiveness and get right with God before you can take communion. Even though the Word says that we are already right with God, not of anything that we've done, but because of what He's done. We're already pure. We've been made perfect. We've been made holy by the blood of the Lamb. Many times we feel feel weak in our lives as well. We feel like we can't accomplish what God has for us. We feel like we can't withstand temptation. We feel like we can't withstand the enemy. But the Bible says that we are strong in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're healed by His stripes. That's truth, regardless of what our facts tell us. And finally... One of the most important things, one of the most important truths that we can take from the Bible is that we are loved. Even when we feel unlovely, even when we've been told that we're unlovable, even when the things that we do make us think that how could anybody love us? God loves you in spite of those things. That's the truth. Amen? I think one of the first things that we need to really grab hold of before we can begin living a a victorious Christian life is to recognize that there is no more condemnation when you are in Jesus Christ. We need to get a revelation of it in our spirit so we can finally begin to, to walk in victory in that area of our life. Head knowledge isn't going to cut it. I can stand up here all day long and tell you that there is no condemnation in Christ. You are forgiven. But if you don't have a revelation, if the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to your heart and you don't grab hold of that, it's not going to do anything for you. Because the problem with head knowledge is is you can argue with that. When you have a revelation of your Spirit, there is no more condemnation then you can finally begin to live in victory in those areas of your life. You see, many Christians walk around trying to feel guilty enough to atone for what they've done. Matter of fact, many religions are based on that very thing, that you have to earn your way back into the good graces of their God. But the Bible says that we've been set free from the law of sin and death. Death no longer has a hold on us, hold on us, and it can no longer extract its requirements. And as we know, the the requirement for sin is death. See, the thing about being freed from that when we try to feel con- when we feel condemned, when we try to f- to take on that that burden ourselves, it's a bit like being double billed for something. I remember one time we got sent a bill from the from the doctor for, for something. I think it was for something for Blake, but we had already paid it. Anybody ever been sent a bill that you've already paid before? How many of you were like, that's awesome, I think I'm going to pay it again. <laughs> Anybody ever paid the bill twice because it was just fun for you? You know, I remember that I... When we got that bill, I didn't even think it was that much, but I was still mad. I wasn't going to pay another 60 bucks or whatever it was. I mean, it's ridiculous. I already paid it once. Why would I pay this again? And we get mad, We, we get upset, we're irritated, so we start calling and making phone calls, and we try to get all these things changed, because we know that it's wrong to be asked to be paid to pay for something that we've already paid for once. We would never pay for a bill twice in our everyday lives. So my question is to you is, why do we try to do it spiritually? When you start to feel condemned, when you start to, to, to feel like there's something that you have to do to make up for, for a sin or a failure in your life, you're trying to pay for that bill twice. Jesus already paid for it. He said we were set free from the, in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. It says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus came and lived a sinless life and went to that cross to die to pay the price for every sin, every failure, every falling, every shortcoming that you've committed as well as the one that Adam committed. Every single one has been paid for. You're like, wait a minute, what about the the sins that I've committed after I already got saved? I know He paid for them that I got saved. What about the ones afterwards? What about all these future sins? Are they they paid for too? And the question I would ask is when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins were future sins? Every single one of them. Because they didn't happen for a couple thousand years later. Jesus paid the price for all of those things in your life. You see, the law couldn't clean or could only clean the outside. The law could only show you on the surface what was wrong. But it couldn't fix the problem. But Jesus came and He fixed the problem and each and every one of us He paid the price. And the truth is that we can't fix our problems either. I thank God that Jesus came because if it was left up to us to pay the price, to fix what was wrong in us, it would never happen. It would be impossible for us to do so. Yet, for some reason, many of us try to do that day by day, add to what Jesus Christ has already done. Jesus became sin for us. All the sin that we committed, all those things, he became that sin. In 2 Corinthians 5:21 it says for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of our sin he became, he took it on himself, and he died and when he died that sin died with it. It has no rights in our lives. We don't owe anything to God for those sins because Jesus paid that price. Let's let's not pay that bill twice. Because like the sacrificial, unblemished lamb of the Old Testament, our guilt was transferred to Jesus. And in return, his righteousness was transferred to us. And I recognize that when we talk about these things, many of these things are a lot easier said than done, right? Like, man, it's easier for you up here to to preach those things, but you don't, you're not, you know, we gotta live this. And I recognize that. So what happens if our conscience does try to condemn us? What happens if we can't help but feel guilty of what we've done? What happens if we, we can't help but, but feel like we have to make an atonement when our heart condemns us? In 1 John three nineteen through 20 it says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. There are going to be times when your heart tries to condemn you for the things that you've done. And I say give it to God. The Bible says that God is greater than your heart. Are you going to listen to your heart? or Are you going to listen to what the Word of God says about you? Now I'm not saying this means we can go ahead and do whatever we want. It's not a license to sin. But if we do fail, if we do make a mistake, the price has been paid. And whatever our heart condemns us, We need to reassure our heart by the word and the truth of God because God is greater than our heart and what he says is definitely of more value, of more truth, more reliable than what our heart has to say. Amen? In Romans 8.37-39 it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. During the Depression, the Great Depression, there was a, a field that was a sheep ranch and it was owned by a guy named Mr. Yates. And as you know, that during, this, during the Depression, it wasn't a good time for this country. And it says, Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranch operation to pay the principal and interest on his mortgage, so he was in danger of losing his ranch. With little money for clothes or food, his family, like many others, had to live on government subsidy. Day after day, as he grazed his sheep over those rolling West Texas hills, he was no doubt greatly troubled about how he would pay his bills. Then a seismograph crew from an oil company came into the area and told him there might be oil on his land, and they asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a lease contract. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve, and the first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were more than twice as large, and in fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test of one of the wells showed it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he had received the oil and mineral rights. Yet he'd been living on relief, a multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem, he didn't know the oil was there, even though he owned it. So that's the same problem that Christians, many Christians today face. We are sitting on an oil well of such riches that we can't even imagine, but we don't even know it's there. The Bible says that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And we have so many areas in our lives that we feel like that we're failing and we're being defeated, and we don't even know that we're a conqueror of those things, so we keep letting them beat on us and tear us down. But in Jesus, we have overcome everything that tries to rear its head against us. There's nothing in this life that can take you down unless you... Turn your back on what Christ has done inside of you. Unless you uh, forget, unless you just forget. Or you don't know. Like Mr. Yates, he didn't know that he had those riches. And many Christians don't even know they're victorious in Christ. They don't know that they've overcome the world. In 1 John 4, 4 it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. That's the oil, oil. That's the treasure that we have inside of us. That's the victory that we have inside of us. And I find that absolutely amazing. On two Two levels. One, I find it amazing that that Jesus Christ lives inside of me and because of the work that He's done in me that I can finally be victorious. I can overcome every single thing that comes my way. Every sin, every temptation, every evil thought, every bad thing that comes my way. I am victorious over any sickness, any depression, any anxiety, any addiction. All of those things, I am already an overcomer in Jesus Christ. And that blows my mind at the work that He's accomplished inside of me. But it also amazes me in another way because this isn't just about me. It's about every single Christian that has accepted Jesus Christ as His Lord and Savior. Yet there's so many of us who are living in defeat, who are living in failure. Because we don't know what we have. It's important this morning to recognize what you have in Jesus. To recognize that you can live in victory. And even better than that, Paul goes on to say that I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing in this earth this is a pretty exhaustive list. I love every time I read this. It, 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 just, it blows my mind that Paul went through so much stuff. But it's because he wanted to be very clear that there is nothing on this earth that can separate you from the love of Christ and what He's accomplished inside of you. There's nothing so bad. There's nothing so evil. There's nothing that can stand in the way of Jesus and His love for you. So that means that we have an incredible oil reserve inside of us of victory and conquering and overcoming, and nothing can be nothing, or nobody can take that away from us. In 2 Corinthians 2.14-15 it says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. As I was reading this, I wanted to know what that triumphal procession was. What is a triumphal procession? Yeah procession. See, the picture that that Paul is using here was that of the Roman triumph. So Paul is is looking back at a time, we're looking at a time when the Romans were in charge, all their armies, all of their big things were going on, and and Paul's using an an example that everybody of that day would understand what was going on, because they saw it in their life every single day. So the picture here is of that of a Roman triumph. And this was a special tribute that Rome gave to their conquering generals. And it was like the equivalent of a a ticker tape parade that we'd have today, just a parade honoring somebody. But in order to do so, a commander-in-chief would have to win a complete victory over the enemy on foreign soil. And he had to kill at least 5,000 enemy soldiers, and he had to gain new territory for the emperor. And if that was so, then that commander-in-chief was entitled to a Roman triumph. And the processional would include the commander riding in a golden chariot surrounded by his officers. The parade would also include a display of the spoils of battle as well as the captive enemy soldiers. The Roman priests would also be in the parade carrying burning incense to pay tribute to the victorious army. And the procession would follow a special route through the city and would end at the Circus Maximus where the helpless captives would entertain the people by fighting wild beasts. To the people in Rome, that was a very special day. That was a a giant celebration. It was a really big deal. And everyone Paul was speaking to understood what that parade was, what that, that procession was. And he said, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession. You see, when we're with Jesus, He's always leading us in victory even though it may seem like things aren't going well, it may seem like that we're failing, it may seem like that God's not moving, or that He doesn't hear us, the truth is that we can know, not we can hope, not we can can think, but we can know that Jesus is leading us in triumph. You see, Jesus came to foreign soil. He came, he, he laid aside his deity, and he came on to foreign soil. He became a man. And he defeated his enemies. And he didn't just, just defeat them a little bit. I mean, he just gave them a good solid whopping. I mean, they are done with. There's no victory left to be had for the enemy. He's completely defeated. And we share in that victory with them. He leads us in that triumphal procession. He leads us as we march beside Him in victory, triumphant, victorious over the enemies. And because of that, the Bible says that through us He spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You know, the truth is that we are victorious in Jesus and through us he shares what he has accomplished to those around us. To those who are saved, they see us walking in victory and we're an encouragement to our brothers and sisters. To those who are lost, they look at our lives and they begin to see something that they want. They see something that they don't have. The hope that we have, the treasure that we have. We're an example to them of what could be had in Jesus Christ. Victory, power, love. We are the aroma of Christ to all of those around us. And that example, that, that aroma, is a victory in Him in every single area of our lives. Amen? In Romans 6, 1 4, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So that's one of the dangers, though, that we can, we can let ourselves fall into as we begin to realize the victory that we have in Christ, the grace that's been expressed towards us. As we begin to realize what He has accomplished, that we are forgiven, that we are free, is that, is that many times, many people have used grace as a license to sin, as an excuse to do whatever they want. They figure, I'm always forgiven, so I can just do whatever I want. I want you to know that that's not living victoriously. You see, one of the keys to living in victory is to realize that freedom and newness of life gives us the ability to not sin, to live holy. It may have been true that before we got saved, it was impossible to live a holy life, but as soon as we got saved, like we read from Paul earlier saying, I wanted to do the right things, but I couldn't, we learned that when we get saved... Something changes inside of us. We are fundamentally changed. A miracle takes place inside of us and we can finally live a sinless life. But the problem is that so many people have taken advantage of the grace God has given and thinking that they can do whatever they want. That's not living in victory. When we still succumb to sin after we've been saved, especially when we do it intentionally thinking that we've got a free pass, that's actually living in defeat. You've been freed from those very things. So let's not live in them. Because says, what should we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. Because how can we who died to sin still live in it? Also in Romans six twelve through fourteen, he says, "Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present yourself members do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace." See, the truth is that sin has no more rights over us anymore. It has no right in our body. It has no authority. So we need to make sure that we're not presenting ourselves, presenting our members to sin for it to do whatever it wants. You are completely free from that. You are completely victorious over those things. And the only way that sin can have its way in you is when we give ourselves back to sin. When the law was around, sin had power. But Jesus rendered that sin powerless. Jesus restored to us the life that Adam had. And the life that Adam had was one without blemish, one without past. It was a pure and holy life given completely to God. It was a life without sin and that has been restored to us in Jesus. We have the ability to live a sinless life. Also, All too often... We'll hear things like, oh, you're human, you're going to sin. It's inevitable. Thank God you're forgiven. Do your best. All these things. And it's true, I recognize that most of us, if not all of us, are going to sin again. But I believe with all my heart that we have the ability to live without sin. If we had a true revelation of the victory that we had in Jesus Christ if we would keep our eyes firmly focused on Him and only Him, I believe that we, we would live our lives completely without sin. If it wasn't possible for us to live a sinless life, then why would we be commanded to do so so often? I think that would be kind of uh, uh, underhanded of God for God to tell you to do something that you couldn't do. In Jude chapter uh Chapter, The only chapter in Jude, Jude 24. Um, the Bible says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. One of my favorite verses, I believe that we can live without stumbling if we'll keep our eyes focused firmly, firmly on him. We can live victorious over sin, over temptation, over every area of our life that tries to bring us down. But the problem that we run into is that we stop presenting our members to God and we start presenting them to sin. We take a brief moment and say, can you just give me a second, God? I've got something I need to do. And we, we step away just for a moment. I don't believe that if we kept ourselves right there with God, our eyes firmly focused on Him, that we could sin. But the problem is, is that we look away. Sometimes we forget that we are victorious over these areas in our lives. Or sometimes we don't have a real revelation of our victory in Jesus Christ, which is what I'm hoping today that you guys will have that revelation this morning of your complete victory in Jesus Christ. I also think that there are areas in our lives where we do have complete victory, but there's other areas of our life that we struggle with. I look at the life of Elijah, and I I remember he he fought the prophets of Baal, and he He took on all of those, it was like 400 or something prophets. He killed them all after they were done. He faced the king, told him there would be be a drought. Faced the prophets of Baal, had great victory. And then as soon as old Jezebel gets upset, he just takes off for the hills. Runs away in fear. I'm like, how can you have that kind of victory and then that kind of defeat? But it happens in our lives as well. We have great victory in one area, but we struggle in another. But I want you to know that God wants you to have victory in every area of your life. And not that he just wants you to have it, but you do have it. We just have to live from that. David was chosen by King, by, by God to be king. And is the only man that God said, he was a man after my own heart. Yet we find that he committed adultery and he, he committed murder. Victory, great victory in certain areas of his life and failure in others. But the truth is that our, our failure to grab hold of the victory that God has for us in our lives is not evidence for a lack of victory in certain areas. But rather it's the difference of fact versus truth. The fact is that we might be struggling in an area, but the truth is we are victorious in him. And we need to get a revelation of that in our hearts. Galatians and I'll try to pick it up here. Galatians 2:20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Another key to living in victory is realizing that it is not really you who lives anymore, but Christ who lives inside of you. You know, the idea of baptism, when we, when we have a baptism, what we're actually having is just a good old-fashioned funeral. Because when we put you under the water, that is you being the old man being buried with Jesus Christ. And when you come up out of the water, we're celebrating that you've been raised in newness with Him. The old man is dead and gone. He was buried. That's what baptism is a representation of. And the new man is what Jesus Christ has done inside of you. It's no longer you who lives, but Christ inside of you. And that's, if we would just let Christ live inside of us, that's a guarantee for victory. Christ never failed. Christ never sinned. Christ never let people down. He didn't do any of those things. What makes you think that him living through you is going to be any less than him living through himself? If he didn't fail in his own body, he's not going to fail in yours as long as you let him live through you. And we do that by faith. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never failed. Jesus was always victorious. And if he is living inside of us and through us, then we can do all those very same things. We can live without failing. We can live without sinning. We live in victory. If it was left up to us, on our own devices, it's true. We would be set up for defeat, set up for failure every single time. But thanks be to God that He has made provision for us in His Son. Amen? Amen. Revelation twelve ten through 12 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God? And they, have been con- and they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. You know, the devil's been thrown down. He's defeated. But even still, he tries to accuse us. He tries to condemn us. It says right here that he's been thrown down, but he accuses him day and night before God. The devil has been defeated by Jesus Christ, but he's going to keep coming at you. He's going to keep trying to condemn you. He's going to keep trying to accuse you. But even though he keeps trying, we have conquered by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of our Testimony. And our testimony is that we are victorious. Our testimony is that we are redeemed. Our testimony is that we are brand new in Jesus Christ. So that's all he has left now is to accuse. And his time is short. He's running out of time to bring people with him. So he's going to keep trying to press harder and harder. But in Romans through through 34 it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is indeed, who indeed is interceding for us. Don't let the enemy bring accusation against you, trying to steal your victory. He has no right to bring accusations against you. You are God's elect, and you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God Himself has justified you in Jesus Christ. And if God says you're clean, if God says you're justified, I think we can take His word over the word of the enemy, enemy day. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-two through 57 oops, it says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory in life and victory in death is given to us by Jesus Christ. Romans 8.31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God has given us the victory through Jesus and there is nothing that can take that away except for our our own decision to look away for a moment. You are victorious this morning in Jesus Christ whether you feel it or not. You are pure whether you feel it or not. You are holy whether you feel it or not. You are healed whether you feel it or not. And if God is for you, who can be against you? So as we close this morning, I want us to resolve to do a few things. And go ahead and... uh, There's going to be a bunch of Scriptures I'm going to quickly throw out at you, so you might want to write them down. But let's resolve to do a few things as we start this new year. Never again will we say, I can't, for I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 Never again will we admit lack. For my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 Never again will we fear, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7 Never again will we harbor doubt and lack of faith, for the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalms 27.1 Never again will we allow the supremacy of Satan over my life, for the one who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. 1 John 4.4 Never again will, shall we admit defeat, for God always leads us in a triumphal procession in, procession in Christ through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. We looked at it today, 2 Corinthians 2.14 Never again will we lack wisdom, for if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. James 1.5 Never again will we be worried and frustrated because we can cast all of our anxiety on Him because He cares for us. That's First Peter 5.7. And never again will we be in bondage. For now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's Second Corinthians 3.17. All of these things that we resolve to do, they are ours in Jesus Christ. So let's stop living towards victory. Let's tr- quit trying to work towards being victorious. But instead, let's live from victory. Because we already are victorious in Jesus Christ. We have all of those things already in Jesus Christ. Let's not live towards them, but let's live from them. Amen? And that's how you live in victory. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.